0: Good evening, this is Doug Taylor. Welcome to the Noahide Nations class on Proverbs. It is July 4th, 2010. And uh, while normally we jump right into the book of Proverbs, I'd like to tackle an issue that came up uh, this last week. Uh, There is a statement made by, I believe, one of the sages that says, when an issue comes your way, you uh, you should investigate it and explore it. Um, And this came up around a a broad question around um, sinning and and what sin is and how we know what a sin is, um, particularly for a a Ben-Noach, a noahide, a non-Jewish person. Uh, But it also even begs a larger question about uh, how we deal with philosophical issues. Uh, So I'd like to start by submitting that there are two kinds of sins and really kind of two areas that we end up dealing with uh, in uh, the realm of Torah there is halacha which uh, translates into English uh, as as law or Torah law it's it's referring to the laws that we have to follow because they're given in the Torah and they're given by Hashem and so we have to go along with that we can, we can discuss those laws and seek to understand those laws, and we can uh, try to understand the underlying benefits of them, but we don't have a choice about whether to keep them or not. I mean, they're decreed by God, and that's that. And then there is the, the philosophical area. Uh, for, the, for the Noahides, by the way, the, the halacha is what we classically call the seven Noahide laws, which are really seven categories of laws, because once you open one of those categories, then you have to delve into, well, what are the specifics within that category? For example, one of the categories is um, a prohibition against inappropriate sexual relations, which of course immediately begs the question of, well, what's an inappropriate sexual relation? And Maimonides goes into this um, and, and other scholars in in detail. so we get down into finer levels of detail. Um, but there's then there's also the area of well, everything else, you know, what about things that aren't covered by law? Um, for example, you know a person could um, sit around all day and uh, lay on the couch and drink beer and um, you know maybe... Uh, yell angrily at his wife and children and to the best of my knowledge he will never break uh, any noahide law but is that a good thing so we get into the area we call philosophy uh, and philosophy is is a different area than halakha, uh... because uh... there's i guess what you could call more flexibility there um, uh, the, uh, the Halakha, maybe you could make a, a, a loose generalization. It's a little bit like traffic laws. You know, we might not understand the traffic law, we might not agree with the traffic law, but we live in the society and we're bound by it, and the police officer can give us a ticket, whether we like the law or we don't. Uh, so Halakha is, is, you know, is established. But philosophy is different. And I'm going to suggest that the very first and perhaps the most important step in philosophy is that from a Torah standpoint on philosophical issues we have to operate in accordance with our mind very important step we have to operate in accordance with our mind your mind has to see an idea clearly and that idea has to make sense to your mind and you should not accept a philosophical idea unless it does make sense make sense to your mind again we have to accept the halacha the Torah law regardless but in the philosophical realm something outside the halakha, we should only accept an idea when it is clear to our mind so can someone sin philosophically well if we define sinning as missing the mark and that is Uh, a a definition of the word sin. It's like, uh, I think my understanding is it came from uh, shooting bows and arrows. You shoot an arrow at a target and you miss it. That's considered a sin. Uh, Now, from our various uh, religious backgrounds, the word sin can have a lot of emotional charge with it. But if we, if we pull away the emotional aspects of it and just look at what does that mean, it means I shot an arrow at a target and I missed it. So it's a missing of the mark. And I'll suggest that philosophically we all miss the mark at one time or another. But then in a philosophical basis, how do we know what missing the mark is? In Halakha, we have very clearly defined um, uh, uh, laws. And the sages go to great lengths to uh, define those very precisely because if you violate one there's punishment involved and of course no one wants to get a particular punishment or uh, a fine or something like that unless you know it's appropriate Um, so there's a very clear definition there but what about halacha or sorry what about philosophy and does God punish us for a philosophic sin and if he does then how exactly do I know what it is because I certainly would want to know that so I can make sure I don't do those things so to answer that question uh, let's consider the following suppose a person is born and is fed nothing but junk food I mean really bad junk food you know free- greasy fried foods and artificial stuff and stuff with artificial ingredients and stuff that's been highly processed and so on and so forth they're fed that as a steady diet until they're age 40 okay and alongside that person is another person who is fed nothing but the healthiest organic food from birth again until age 40 now all other things being equal let's stand those two people side by side at age 40 after that 40 year history and look at them and compare their health and I'll suggest that it's a pretty good bet that the person who ate the healthy food is going to be healthier than the person who ate the junk in fact it's pretty likely I think that the person who ate the junk food is probably after 40 years going to be suffering from a whole variety of ills and uh you know difficult problems uh in in the health realm okay so in that situation we wouldn't come along and say "Well, god punish the sick person i mean we generally wouldn't we would we would look at that person and say well he or she is experiencing the natural consequences of his or her own actions. We wouldn't attribute it that God somehow came out of the blue and whacked the sick person with a bunch of sickness. We'd say, no, that's what you get for eating that kind of food. So, likewise, I want to submit that we all face and experience the consequences of our actions. and. That philosophic sin is not about some big list of things that is written somewhere, and God's just kind of waiting to whack me if I, you know, uh, miss one of those. Rather, I'll suggest that we have before us, in any given situation, an almost infinite set of possible actions that we can take. And some of those actions, Have positive consequences and some of those actions have negative consequences and some of those consequences are internal and some of those consequences are external and that the choices I make affect both the internal experience I have of life and the external reactions that I get from other people and situations so for example if I'm uh, angry all the time and I yell at my family That behavior is going to have a certain set of consequences. It's likely that my family won't want to be around me and won't like me very much. So there's an external consequence. And internally, I will probably also be miserable because I'm constantly thinking negative, angry, judgmental thoughts. Now, in that circumstance, I'll submit to you that God didn't punish me with any of this. I simply experience the natural consequences of my behavior. Now, if I want to live the best possible life, then I want to make good choices so I can get good consequences. And how do I know how to do that? Well, that, for that God gave us his Torah, which is essentially a guidebook for life. And Uh, the Tanakh and the the prophets and the writings that all give us information from which we can determine the ways in which we should live yes inside the Torah there is Torah law but in addition to the Torah law there are priceless lessons about how we can face the challenges that we run into in life and deal with all kinds uh, of life situations it, for example, you know, you've probably read enough to learn that there is a time to be kind and there is a time to be cruel. Well, how do I know which is which? I mean, what if I'm kind when I should be cruel or cruel when I should be kind? Well, by studying the concepts in the Torah and learning the lessons that are, that are embedded uh, in those stories, we can learn uh, the principles, the philosophical principles on which we would want to operate our lives in order to get the best possible consequences. And that is what the study that we're doing here in the book of Proverbs is all about. We see case after case that King Solomon wrote for us and what we do is abstract out of those cases principles from which uh, we can operate in our daily lives. And we do it in case after case so that the process of examining those cases begins to affect how we think over time yes we may uh, get involved in a particular study of a verse and get a big aha out of it and it's really fun when that happens but sometimes we just we go through them and we reinforce ideas that maybe we've heard before we heard the idea from a slightly different perspective uh, whatever And it reinforces that idea in our mind to the point that eventually those ideas begin to affect how we think. We start thinking in a sort of, uh, if you will, proverbs type way. And it's that point then that the ideas have really begun to affect us. And that, I'll submit to you, is real behavior change. Rabbi Moskowitz, uh, through my studies with him, one of the key principles I learned over many years, is that the only way you make real behavior change is when an idea is clear to your mind and that idea becomes clear by seeing the idea from many directions and asking all the questions around it until it becomes so obvious to me so clear to me that I begin to operate on that basis so the idea of of a philosophical sin is not a case of you know, figuring out some list of sins that God's going to punish me for. It's about learning how to operate in any given situation, with the goal being to maximize living the very best possible life I can I can live in accordance with the reality uh, that God created. So that takes me out of a... Of a a framework or a mindset that I may have picked up in a previous religious life or from previous religious upbringing that God is like some angry parent waiting to slap me if I you know mess up. Uh, Instead it's a framework where God is the creator of reality and the best life I can lead for me you know it's kind of a selfish reason the best life I can lead for me is by learning to live in accordance with that reality And the way that I learned to do that is by studying and learning and applying the truths that are found in the Torah. Um, And shalom, uh, Naomi and Avram. uh, Great to have you with us. Um, One particular learned rabbi explained it to me in, in this perhaps somewhat unique way. It's a little bit like being sick and you're trying to get well and we're all sick because we all operate in ways that aren't in accordance with reality Um, and so we all have this sickness to a degree and depending on how sick we are we may take a small step or a big step or certain different steps uh, toward trying to get ourselves well it's not that I'm being punished like someone's coming in and hitting me its that I'm experiencing the results of many decisions that I have made throughout my life now my goal is to get well so I'm on this path toward wellness and I'm trying to understand how to live a healthier life and there are a lot of other people on this path as well and generally speaking each one of them is in a different place on the path toward wellness some people maybe are more well than others but we're all sick to a degree because we don't see reality clearly, and we don't consistently operate in accordance with it. So in looking at other people, I can't congratulate myself and say, well, I'm really cool because I got to this place, because that would kind of be like sitting in a doctor's office congratulating myself that I'm not as sick as the guy next to me. Uh, Or it would be perhaps like criticizing him for being more sick than me, I mean, that's like a totally turned around uh, approach. Rather, it would would be like being grateful for the progress that I've been able to make in getting well. And certainly if I had the opportunity, I would probably turn around and try to help someone if they had asked for it in how they could get well. So, as we said before, a sin, apart from failing to live in accordance with the seven Noahide laws... Is when I missed the mark. And the way that I learn what the mark is in a given situation, that requires study and learning and contemplation and review. And sometimes it's going to require counsel from someone more learned than me. Um, I've had situations, I can think of one in particular, where I faced a business situation uh, that was a little touchy about whether to reveal some information that I knew about another person. Um, and whether I should or shouldn't, whether I had an obligation to do that, or whether it would be out of place. And, you know, I went to someone wiser than me that had more experience. I went to a rabbi and I said, look, here's the situation. You know, what's the, what's the appropriate thing to do from a Torah's pr- perspective? And he gave me specific counsel and gave me reasons why, so I could see why in this situation you would reveal this information, but, you know, in other situations you might not. So we can learn that from the principles of Proverbs and Torah. Uh, if somebody yells at me, say in a business situation, I'm in a meeting and somebody yells at me, you know, give, angrily jumps all over my case, what's the best response? Well, depends on a variety of factors. And it's not that, well, there's a right answer and if I don't pick it, God's going to zap me. It's about, there are a variety of possible responses and some of those are going to have good consequences and we would generally call those wise choices and some are going to have not so good consequences and we would probably generally call those foolish um, uh, decisions and depending on what choice I make, I'm going to experience those good consequences or those not so good consequences and that's why the study of Proverbs is so important for us, us beginners uh... is that it's that study about the science of the consequences of our lives and by learning about consequences we start to see them we start to operate in accordance with them we start to get wisdom through doing that remember wisdom we defined uh, er, in one of our earlier classes as the ability to see and act on the basis of consequences so to the degree that i see consequences and I'm able to act on the ability to see those consequences, that is a measure of a wise person. I may have emotions that want to drive me toward a different response, a short-term kind of response, uh, that that will somehow satisfy an emotional drive, but to the degree that I can overcome that and with my intellect think through, ah, but what's going to happen in the long term here? What's the effect on me? What's the effect on the other people? and I make my decisions in accordance with that intellectual analysis and what the long-term consequences are then that's a measure uh, of my wisdom as an example um, you know I could get angry and um, yell at a person Uh, maybe they've been you know acting like a jerk Uh, and I have this strong desire to You know, just let them have it. And in fact, I've even conjured up in my mind this great one-liner put-down. I could just demolish them uh, with this cool one-liner I came up with. Oh, but wait a second. My my emotions want to do that because I want the satisfaction of ripping into the guy. But wait a second. If I do that, first of all, what's going to happen afterwards? Well, I'm going to make an enemy out of that guy. And he's probably going to plot to get even with me. And in a business environment or any environment, it's not good to have enemies even if the guy is being a jerk and so plus I'm gonna have to eventually if I embarrass him in front of other people, I'm gonna have to go clean up that mess and make apologies and it's gonna be a big mess to clean up and so on and so forth so uh, I'll override my emotional drive and I will make the intellectual decision that I will answer him softly or you know do something else that's the kind of thing we're talking about about learning consequences and operating with wisdom now through that study and through the learning and application uh, of those ideas a person can raise his soul to a higher level and that to the best of my knowledge uh, and understanding uh, affects a person's place in the world to come and so in that sense I'll submit it's, it's not God judging me like, okay, he's, you know, I, I, I am about to get surprised in court by this, uh, you know, bunch of things I didn't know were, were issues. It's about my experiencing the consequences of a lifetime of actions. And also, importantly, as you probably know, the Torah talks very little about the world to come. Rather, the Torah wants us to be concerned about living the best life here and now. And interestingly, living the best life here and now, in accordance with reality, in accordance with God's systems, is also the best preparation for the world to come. So, this is a very different approach from certain religious approaches that teach shame and fear and guilt. Uh, by contrast, the Torah approach is very, very freeing. I mean, it's, there's room to be human. Uh, we never arrive in this approach, but the whole point is to be on the journey and to be continuously involved in that learning and that character development. Um, one more illustration that I have discussed before in this, in this class, but I, I think it deserves um, repeating here, and that is that uh, in some sense life is like being a computer programmer. You know, a computer programmer writes code for a living and based on my experience in writing code and in you know working a little bit with some other people, uh, I don't know that there is any programmer that I've ever met who could write at least complex code that works right the first time that it gets run. Uh, generally things crash and that's why they do tests and then the computer programmer he doesn't sit down and weep and wail and feel guilt and shame you know over the program what he does is he sits down might grab a cup of coffee along the way and goes back through the code line by line he analyzes everything that went on to find out where's the mistake where's the mistake that caused this crash result and then he fixes it Along the way, if he's a good programmer, he makes a mental note never to make that same kind of coding mistake again. And then he moves on. You know, that's what programmers get paid to do. You know, write code, doesn't work, fix it, move on. That, I'll submit to you, is the Torah approach to sin. It's a very practical analysis of the consequences of our actions as we've discussed in this class. It's not about fear, it's not about shame. We see that we've made a mistake, we analyze why we did what we did, we make a resolution not to do that again, and we move on. And that is, interestingly, the essence of repentance. And we're constantly involved in that, because as human beings, we constantly fall short of the mark. And it's not horrible to do that. I mean, that's the human process, and that's why God gave us repentance. That's the process whereby we learn and grow. Okay, so let me pause there and see if there are any, any questions. Charles, thank you. You write code for living. That's exactly the process. Thank you so much. Uh, ah, Jim, thank you. Might we also cause a Hillel Hashem by committing a philosophical sin? Uh, a Hillel Hashem being a degradation of God's name. Yes, we... We certainly could do that. I mean, suppose that, uh, as an example, uh, you know, people know that we study Torah and we're trying to live a Torah life, uh, and then uh, in some public situation with a lot of people around, uh, you know, we lose our temper and curse a guy out. Uh, that you know could be a degradation of God's name because people look at that and say, "Gee, this is a guy that tries to live a Torah life. Torah must not mean anything if he does that." So yes, we we definitely uh, uh, we definitely could do that, and uh, it's it's um, it's very important to uh, you know kind of keep in mind that our actions are not just. Um, necessarily viewed only by ourselves but by others as well. There is an interesting parallel to that um, in that you know it used to be that uh, people probably thought well nobody's around looking I can do what I want but in this day of um, internet and email and cameras all around and so forth you know we see this in the news that people get caught on camera doing things that they you know never thought would get uh, put on on the evening news, uh, and in fact, in the company in which I work, um, you know, we tell people never write anything in an email that you would not want to see on the front page of a national newspaper, because that, in fact, happens. And you just blasted off those words that you thought, you know, would just be a quick one-liner put down, or you were, you know, berating someone or doing something, Jim, that I, you know, I think you're. You're uh, alluding to here some philosophical um, sin through an email, and it ends up being sent to this guy and forwarded to that guy, and pretty soon it's all over the internet. Uh, people have, have you know, lost jobs or worse over things like that, and it can be very, very, uh, have very long term negative effects in a variety of arenas, including the potential being a, a, a degradation of Hashem's name. So, very good point. So philosophical ideas have to be understood by the mind, and most of us um uh, are are caught by uh i guess you could say a double whammy here first, our society doesn't particularly allow uh for a, a lot of freedom of thought um that's that's not because it is necessarily um you know, dictatorially uh, squashed, but if you look at, at, you know, discussion forums for uh, political discussions of a particular political party, or classroom teachings in educational situations, or um, forums for discussion of particular, perhaps religious groups, questions that challenge ideas, or that challenge the status quo are not particularly encouraged and in some places you can get thrown out of such institutions uh, for challenging the status quo in some educational systems uh, particularly maybe at the the lower grade levels you can get labeled as somebody with attention deficit disorder who needs prescription drugs in order to help calm you down if you ask a lot of questions so we, we, uh, we have that problem in our society, that our society is a little bit biased toward the authoritarian kind of uh, operation where, you know, uh, somebody stands up and says, this is the way it is, um, and we all accept that. That, uh, you know, standard type of educational delivery is like that. Bunch of people in a classroom, somebody up in front, they talk at you for, you know, an hour, and you're supposed to sit there and take notes. Um, certain religious groups, the head religious guy stands up and gives a a speech or a sermon. Uh, Those kinds of environments don't exactly invite someone standing up and saying, excuse me, but I have a disagreement on this point that you just made because it seems illogical to me. Um, So we have the the societal impact. The second thing is that many of us um, in the Noahide ranks came from uh, you know, former Christian backgrounds where uh, some of us have been taught uh, to uh, operate from, you know, shame, fear, and guilt. Um, and if you've been taught that, then that can carry over to where a person even feels, um, learned, they, they learn to feel bad even for just asking a question altogether, much less challenging an authority figure in that realm. Uh, So, the temptation maybe in the Torah realm, if I came from one of those backgrounds, is I might feel like, well, gee, if some great sage made this statement, who am I to ask a question that challenges it? But, we have to do that. It's imperative that we ask questions so that we understand ideas. Why? Because back to the very start of this discussion, I'll submit, we have to operate on the basis of what is clear to our minds. I cannot operate my life from a philosophical perspective. I'm not talking about halakha here. But from a philosophical perspective, I cannot operate my life on the basis of what someone else says. I have to do the investigation. At any point in the process of that investigation, I have to operate on the basis of what is clear to me. Because, after all, what else can I operate on? Um, I will submit to you that the Torah approach is to operate on the basis of your mind and you have to operate on the basis of ideas, the philosophical ideas that are clear to you. Halakha, as we discussed, that's a different story. We have to abide by that regardless and we can investigate it and learn more about it, but we have to operate on the basis of it. But philosophy uh, and philosophical things, we have to operate on the basis of what's clear to us. And the development of those ideas is just that. It's a development. It doesn't all come overnight. Uh, in fact, it's a lifetime process. And a- as an example uh, of this idea, we can look at the story of Jonah. Uh, or Yonah, if you pronounce it in the Hebrew. Uh, in-, in just the first three verses of that book, we see that God tells uh, Yonah to go to Ninveh and call out against it because of its wickedness. And then Jonah arranges to flee away from God. All this happens in like the first three verses. Now that begs, you know, a couple of obvious questions. First of all, why would Jonah do that? I mean, God said go do this. Why would he try to run away from that and how can you possibly flee from God? I mean, you know, if God told us to do something, wouldn't we just go do it? So, Rabbi Chait provides a beautiful answer to this question. Um, and I believe that this answer was given in one of his Noahide tapes, uh, which are available through uh, ybt.org, uh, the Yeshiva B'nai Torah website. Um, you have to, uh, to go in and ask for them. Uh, the purchase price is very modest. Years ago, He gave, I think there are about a hundred, maybe slightly more, one-hour lectures in this series. They were specifically for Noahides. And Rabbi Chait is one of the most brilliant scholars uh, that I have ever had the uh, good fortune to to be able to learn from. Uh, And I highly recommend this series. And if I recall, in this series, he touched on uh, this issue, and he explains that the prophet... Is dependent on his knowledge if his knowledge fails him he can't move it's not like you know we sort of I think can easily fall in the trap of thinking well gee if God would give me prophecy I would just do whatever God said but that's not the approach the approach is that the ideas have to be clear um, and so Jonah could not understand why God would offer Ninve, the opportunity to repent. Uh, And because he couldn't understand that, he was unable to follow God's direction. So he has to follow what is clear to his mind. It's not an authoritative or authoritarian type thing of, okay, you say, I'll do. When it comes to halakha, yes. Uh, But apart from that, not the case. And in this case, since the idea wasn't clear to his mind, he couldn't act on that. And he tried to run away from it. So similarly, for us, in the realm of the philosophical, outside of halakha, we should accept only those ideas that make sense to our mind. And as Gyan has said, the the sage, um, we should assume that we are right. In other words, we ought to act on the basis that we're right and simultaneously be open enough to retract if someone can show us that we're wrong. And that, I'll submit, is the philosophy that we have to operate on in, in going through our lives and in the study and learning that we have. Uh, that we, we assume operate on the basis that what we know is correct, because that's what we know. And if someone can show us tomorrow that our idea is incorrect, then we maintain enough openness to say, oh, yeah, you're right, okay. I retract my former position, and now I'll take a new position. Because nobody's got all the answers. I mean, most of us, you know, think something differently now than we thought, you know, five or ten years ago. And probably five or ten years from now, we will think a little bit differently because our knowledge will have increased if we continue in the area of studying and learning. Our knowledge will have increased. And so we'll have some different ideas at that point. But on right now, I have to operate on the basis of what I know. And then by being continually engaged in The process of learning I'm continually refining those ideas and that then puts us on a path of continual development and refinement and growth okay one more important aspect of this idea good evening Terry great to have you with us you cannot skip steps okay you absolutely cannot skip steps you have to accept where you are at a particular point if an idea is not clear to you then you need to accept that and not force acceptance before the idea is clear to you there can be some very great emotional pressures particularly what we call the religious emotion um, that we impose on ourselves to 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 accept things before we're ready for them because somehow we think we should be at a different level than the level that we're actually on and So it's very important that we are thoroughly honest with ourselves At whatever stage we are we cannot pretend to be somewhere that we're not Uh, although I think a lot of us try at some point point. And and we can even kind of try to fool ourselves into thinking we're on a particular uh, level uh, when when we're not. But we have to be very, very sensitive to this and be be just thoroughly, thoroughly honest with our own selves to recognize, you know what, I hear the idea but it just doesn't ring right for me. For some reason I can't understand it or I can't accept it or it doesn't make sense to me. And, and live with that and continue to do the investigation uh, you know, along the way and continue to ask questions uh, and, and try to explore it further, but to accept where I am at a given point in time. That is a better place to be than pretending to be at a place when I'm really not there. Okay. Okay. I've been talking for a long time, let me pause and see if there are any questions on any of this. Key issues, I think, for our study of uh, the book of Proverbs. Okay, so we'll uh, then shift back to our look at verses in Proverbs. And we are, at this point, up to Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. And the verse reads... There is a path that is straight and clear in front of a man and its end or its consequence or its result will be the path of death there is a path that is straight and clear in front of a man and its end will be the path of death so I think as most of you know our normal process here is first before we try to answer. Uh, and, and dig, uh, I guess, go to what does the verse really mean, we want to ask questions around the verse. And the reason for this gets to what we were just talking about. In order to understand an idea, we have to ask every possible question we can ask around that and uh, do our best then to look at answers to those questions. But one of the skills that's important to build up in this study of uh, the Torah of the Proverbs is and in the study of Torah is the ability to ask questions uh, sometimes asking questions is more important than uh, than getting to answers so if you look at this verse uh, what kinds of questions come up that maybe suggest things that don't make sense aren't completely clear maybe things we need to define uh, some of those things questions around this verse Proverbs 14 12 there is a path that is straight and clear in front of a man and Its end will be the path of death So what do you think? What are the questions? Okay, Naomi good. Thank you. What type of path is this? Okay, and who makes it and why is the end of it the way of death? Good question you would think that if the path is straight and clear that it wouldn't end in death, uh, and Charles Good. Just because the path is obvious doesn't mean it is the right one. Very good point. Very good point. Uh, and in fact, this this verse seems to be pointing to what is that kind of a case, where uh, the the path is is straight and clear, and its end is is death. In in analyzing Proverbs, sometimes we look at a proverb and realize that, you know, it could be read uh, several different ways or mean, um, you know, a, a number of different things. And if we see one that is obviously impossible, then that suggests to us that perhaps King Solomon was trying to tell us something different. Um, and so... Uh, So, Rabbi Moskowitz wanted to suggest, uh, or uh, explain the verse like this, that this is saying that to a person that is evil or foolish, he really thinks his way is the correct way. And he'll defend it. He'll defend it. But the end of that path is death. Now, think about that for a minute. Have you ever been really mad at someone? I mean, really, really angry, and you just knew you were right? I mean, it was all very clear to your mind that you were right. And then, maybe an hour later, or four hours later, or a day later, or a week later, you kind of wake up from your anger trance, and you realize how wrong you were. And what a mess you would have made if you'd acted on that anger. So, in that circumstance, what happened? I'll suggest that you were under the spell of your own emotions. The way looked very clear, but it would have led to some very bad consequences. And in this verse, if someone is really evil and foolish, The path leads to the ultimate end of death. So they think it's very straight and clear, but in fact, the result will be a path of death. Okay? Is that clear so far? Pause there and make sure we're, we're good to go. Anyone unclear about that? Okay, Terry, good, thanks. All right. So, that raises an interesting question. Well, just how secure should you be of your own ideas? And this gets to what we were just talking about. Because we have to operate in the real world every day. So, how sure should I be of myself? Well, Rabbi Moskowitz uh, shared that the human condition is that a human being must feel secure. And so, we are back to Saja point. That you should always feel secure that your ideas are right because that's where you are in life and that's what you have got to work with but you should be willing to retract if someone can show you that your ideas are wrong (laughs) and he said note then that you can only be wrong historically which is an interesting way to look at that so we're constantly learning new things And so what we think is right today may turn out to be wrong tomorrow. But what I know today is what I know today, and that's what I have to operate from. If I learn something different tomorrow, okay, then I can retract and repent. So God created a system so that I can operate in the world, and I can operate on the basis of the knowledge that I have, and if it turns out that the knowledge that I have uh, when I operated on it, it, turns out to be wrong. Then I have a way to go back and fix that. And that's repentance. Okay, Questions on that? or are we good to go? Okay. So two related ideas that I want to share with you on this. First of all, there are certain people with whom you cannot argue, and the only way they will ever see the truth, is if they get the consequences. Now, there takes, I think, some experience and knowledge and understanding to know who those people are and when you're in a situation with one of those people. But it really helps to recognize that because you can save yourself a lot of wear and tear. Uh, I mean, you can spend a long time trying to argue with someone who's not going to budge. And the earlier er, excuse me, the earlier you can figure out in the process that they're not going to budge, the easier it will be for you, because you will expend the least amount of effort on a situation that's not going to get you anywhere. So that's one idea. The second idea is that you need to at least be aware of the possibility in any given situation that you could be faking yourself out. In other words, you could be convincing yourself that you're right when in fact you're not. However, you cannot live in analysis paralysis. And some people are particularly good at falling into that trap uh, where they just get caught up in going round and round and round. Well, I could go down this left road. But then the right one seems more correct, but then there are these consequences. Maybe the left road is the correct one, but then that is this consequences, which maybe it's the right one and back and forth and back and forth. And the trouble is that paralyzes you, where you can't act at all. And so you even need to recognize that in your own personality if that's something that uh, you have that goes on in your life. And certain personalities... Uh, based on my experience, are more prone to that than others. Some people fall into that trap and some people don't. Uh, And if you happen to be one who falls into it, you just need to be aware of it and recognize, again, you have to operate on the basis of what you know and not spend endless hours uh, second-guessing yourself. Um, So it's just another thing to be aware of that can be operating. Uh, You can be faking yourself out. At the other end of the spectrum, you could be caught in analysis, paralysis, and never make a move. uh, And neither of those is the best. So you have to operate on the basis of what you know and recognize that that is the best you can do. Um, And uh, and, and that's a philosophy, that, that that is the best you can do. And then go forward on the basis of feeling good that I am doing the best that I can do. And if the results turn out bad, then I will go back and do an analysis to see if there's anything different I could have done. And if there was, okay, then I can repent over that. If not, then the circumstances were outside my control and the acceptance of that is a part of the acceptance of life. And so I can move on and feel okay about doing that. Okay, any questions on those ideas or this verse? Okay, good. Let's uh, thank you, Jim and Charles. Let's move on. Uh, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13. Uh, this one raises some interesting questions. Uh, also, with fun, it pains the heart, and after happiness is sadness. Let me repeat also with fun, meaning having a fun time. It pains the heart. And after happiness is sadness. So what kinds of questions would we ask around that verse? Okay, uh, Charles and Jim. So Charles, when we're happy, maybe we realize that others are sad. Okay, could be. It's a possibility we can put on the table. Jim, you've asked why also. That's a good question and I... Do not know if that is an interpretation of the conjunction in Hebrew or a specific word that means that. So, I will have to pass on being able to ask answer that question. Uh, the answer that uh, I think we'll get to through uh, my understanding of um, my class with Rabbi Moskowitz on this verse, that... Uh, I'm not sure the word will be critical to our understanding but it's a very good question because it's not a word that comes up very much in Proverbs so when we see a word that doesn't come up a lot that may suggest something that we need to pay attention to Um, Naomi you've asked what type of pain it is okay and why yeah why sorrow after happiness is it physical or emotional good Terry are these emotions okay yeah Uh, Why why does having fun pain the heart, and why does sadness uh, come after happiness? And, um, well, let's take a look. So, virtually everyone, and this is what came out of of, uh, the class that we had with Rabbi Moskowitz on this topic, or on this verse. Virtually everyone at some time in their life has a high. You know, you something really good happens, some really neat event or occurrence that they've really looked forward to happens. You know, something like that. You experience a high. And then sometimes after the high, you have a downer. So, what's the high? And what's the downer? I mean, what, what is that about? That we have this high and this down. And uh, my classmate Terry said that a high is based on a fantasy and not in reality Uh, that and that high because it's based on a fantasy has to eventually come into collision with reality and when that fantasy that high comes into collision with reality that's the low that's the downer when you recognize that your high isn't reality Now, success itself doesn't necessarily lead you to a downer because uh, sometimes success leads to more success. And that good feeling that you're having of being successful in a certain area and, you know, let's say you're on an exercise program and and you manage to stick with the exercise program for a whole week. And that that good feeling that you get pushes you on to stick with it for another week and, and so forth. Uh, that that's not a you don't get a downer there but what my understanding is she's suggesting is that a high where you have a fantasy view of life must eventually come down and so the suggestion the, the key here is whether you're living in fantasy or reality and if you're living in reality then success can lead you on to more success but that doesn't seem to be what our verse here is talking about our verse seems to be talking about someone whose fun and happiness is based on a fantasy because it ultimately leads to pain and sadness now uh, there are fantasy pleasures that lead to a low and then there are also the physical pleasures and the physical pleasures are not the same as a fantasy. So um, a, a person might say um, they're you know really enjoying the the taste of something, but what they're looking for is a high. And I'm not talking about a drug high here. Uh, I'm I'm just talking about a a, a fantasy high. But uh, the It was suggested that there are no real highs in the physical world. Um, That the real enjoyment of life, the physical life that we live, should be the life of the physical. Like you have a nice taste of a nice food, or you exercise and you feel good. And if you distinguish between the physical pleasures and the psychological pleasures, then there are physical pleasures that are not highs they're just physical pleasures if you're looking for more then you may be looking for a high that fantasy and that desire for the fantasy is something that has to be undone uh, through an investigation I mean you would want to start looking for why your emotions want the high and why you want an escape from the reality of the physical world I, I, if I recall, it was Rabbi Chait who said that the, the sages, you, know, sometimes would go and they would enjoy, you know, uh, nice fruits or, or a glass of wine. And for them, it was an enjoyment. It wasn't like an escape from reality. It was an enjoyment of the physical world, OK, which is, is different. So the verse seems to be showing us the pain that's associated with a life of fun and happiness if one is living for a fantasy as opposed to living uh, a life of reality now the verse says um, having a fun time pains the heart and we've I think discussed before that when this was written the term at the time this book was written the term heart uh, was as I understand it generally used to refer to the mind We tend to think these days that when we talk about heart, you're talking about emotions. But in those days, when they talked about the heart, they were talking about the mind. And after happiness is sadness. So it seems that the, sort of the, the, I guess you'd say the negative consequence that we're seeing in both the first half and the second half is covering both the mental and the emotional here. So um, you go out and do a fun activity again if you're involved in the fantasy it's going to be uh, ultimately painful to your mind and uh, that after you have happiness that's a fantasy you're trying to you know get to that fantasy high you're gonna have sadness so you have the downs with the ups when you're doing this out of reality but if you're simply experiencing the physical world the way it's intended to be experienced as just yeah this is a pleasure This particular food or this particular fruit or this particular wine or whatever is a pleasure and you don't make it the end all and be all and some fantasy thing beyond reality um, then you can just experience it and it's part of of living life okay any questions on this okay then in that case uh, we're just about at the top of the hour and we will stop for the evening Uh, Thank you all for attending, and I hope you can join us next week.